I invite you to remain standing as we read from the prophet Ezekiel, chapter 37, beginning with verse 1. Let us hear these holy words. The hand of the Lord came upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me all around them. There were very many lying in the valley, and they were very dry. He said to me, Mortal, can these bones live? I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. I will lay sinews on you and cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I had been commanded, and as I prophesied, suddenly there was a noise, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. I looked, and there was sinew on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, mortal, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain that they may live. I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, a vast multitude. Then he said to me, mortal, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are cut off completely. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you back to the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from your graves, O my people. I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you on your own soil. Then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken and will act, says the Lord. This is the word of God for the people of God. Man, y'all are obedient. Look at that. I've been in churches where the preacher has to holler to get people to sit down after the greeting time. So good for you. Good for you. What a treat and delight it is to be with here, with you here. Um, I am honestly just so excited to be on what feels like a great big adventure here in the Arkansas Conference of the United Methodist Church. Um, I'm honored this day in particular to be a part of the extended community of those of you who are worshiping in your homes. Uh, I am grateful for your presence as a part of this body and grateful for the presence of really so, all of you here in this place and uh, as um, Jay referred to a moment ago, um, we had a big party here yesterday. And so thank you, choir, for double duty, two days and one weekend. Um, Pulaski Heights, y'all put on a big show and a big hospitality yesterday. And so thank you for all of you who are part of that, um, which I know are a lot of more people than I even know. So I'm grateful. Um, you were over the top. Pulaski Heights here in, in, in Little Rock. I'm, I'm just getting on the ground, and uh, all I've done, really been able to do is take a look at your website, but uh, you look like you have many vital ministries of different sorts, and a, 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 
a vibrant presence in this community, and I'm grateful for that. I look forward to getting to know your ministries better. I think you're embodying the love of Christ well here from what I can see. So thank you, uh, Dr. Roberts, Robbins and others for your welcome. It is, for me, an odd time to begin life as a bishop in the United Methodist Church. And it's odd for several reasons. One of those is because normally new bishops start in January, in uh, September in our, in our system. And this is, of course, everything's messed up because of COVID. And so, um, you know, I, felt, I feel like I've fallen into this raging river because the, you know, the year is midway. We've got a lot of work that has to be done and the bishop has a lot of things to do in the spring. And so, um, uh, you know, that's odd and I don't know how to do that. <laughs> it's odd because we're still, to some degree, post, I don't wanna say post COVID, but we're post lockdown. Um, Dr. Robbins was telling me about, you know, recording services in, in, in this room with nobody in it, except the people up here behind the microphone. Um, we're still figuring out who we are as a result of that time in our life together. And then finally, it's an odd time to start as a bishop in the United Methodist Church because of the transitional moment that we're trying to get through. Uh, as some people and some congregations discern whether their path forward lies with the United Methodist Church or not. If you don't know what I'm talking about, I welcome you to ask your pastor after the service. <laughs> he will be glad to fill you in. Um, you know, and if you do know what I'm talking about, then you know that transitional moment is a very delicate way uh, to describe what has actually been a rough experience. It's been, in some congregations, a traumatic experience. So it's an odd time. But smart leaders remind us that in the midst of disorientation, or what one of my friends calls an unfrozen time, we have a chance to learn new things and to change. I hope to lean into that with you. I, I hope that, that I can trust and that we can trust together that while this may be an odd time, that it's still God's time and uh, some good is gonna happen. So uh, as I look at this, um, this scripture text today, I'm, I'm thinking about my children who were here yesterday. Um, and I know that sounds weird. Like, as I think about dry bones, I think about my children. But um, I, I'll tell you why. I'll get there in a minute. Uh, my, my, my kids were here for the weekend, and they're, they're both flying out this morning. But uh, my daughter is, is uh, Caroline. She's 21 and a junior at Texas State University, where she's studying psychology. Um, my son, Joe, is 26. He's working for, uh, toward his master's in public health in epidemiology at Boston University, where he also earned his bachelor's degree. And I tell you all that because when he was an undergrad up there in Boston, um, Joe told me about a class he was taking on death and mortality. And it was as close as he got to church, uh, where, unless it was like Christmas or his grandmother or I came to town. And, and yet, this was my boy who at age six, you know, came home from a Sunday school godly play lesson and said to me that afternoon, Mama, I don't believe God created the world in seven days. That doesn't make sense. 
And I put down whatever I was doing in the moment, and I said, well, I didn't think so either. Um, and so there in the Parsonage kitchen, we had a conversation about what that meant. So years later, one day in this college class, they're discussing the afterlife, and the professor divided them into two groups, one a group of people who do believe in, that there is an afterlife, and the other group who doesn't believe that there is. And Joe told me that he put himself in the group that doesn't believe that there's an afterlife. I was like, really? Why? And he said it was because of some of the crazy things that the people who do believe in it were saying. And he didn't want to be in that group. He's a science brain. And I said, he, he said, he, said he, he can't know for sure that there is one, so that must mean he doesn't believe in it. And I said, well, now, if that's how belief works, that we have to know for sure, then there are a bunch of us in trouble. And so began another conversation, like that one years earlier in the Parsonage Kitchen, about believing and knowing and how they're different and how they're kin. But as a part of my son's class conversation on the afterlife, another conversation arose, uh, and the, the question came up, if there is a life after this life, and people go there, as it were, what kind of body do they have? What does it mean to go there? And we pastors know this question fairly well. I remember a family of daughters early in my ministry whose father died of a horrific cancer at age 60. I'm turning 60 this year. And I remember how he looked. He didn't look 60. Uh, he looked about 80. And yet he, in, in their life together as a family, had been bigger than life to them. And they wanted, they needed to know, will we see him again? And if we do, how will we know him? Will he bear this ravaged body that we just put into the ground or some other? And we pastors, we're supposed to know. And so we give different answers about spiritual bodies or the resurrection of the body on the last day. Some wonky pastors might give answers about the Hellenistic influence on Jewish and Christian thought. Maybe we don't go into that, but you know what I mean. We try to give an answer for these things that we don't know. We try to give answers to the yearning, the hope beyond hope, that indeed the grave doesn't have the last word. Today's text in Ezekiel is not about loved ones worrying about folks they've buried. It is, though, about death and the death of bodies, the death of a body. We learn by the end of the reading <clears throat> that this is the people of God. These are the people of Israel. Uh, <clears throat> and Israel, of course, means multiple people, but it also is a people. And at this point in the Old Testament story, they have been exiled from the promised land, the land that had been a sign of God's love for them and their faithfulness to each other, that covenant that they held. The land was this tangible proof that God loved them, and they had lost it. They were people who used to know who they were because they knew who their God was, and they could point at it. As we read backwards into the Hebrew Scriptures from this day, we might see ourselves in those people. We might see the church. Maybe that's a stretch, but maybe it's not. Maybe you or someone you know has gotten caught in our denominational fight, 
And maybe you've found that no matter how the, go, the, the vote goes, a humble heart will have a hard time declaring a winner. Or in the bigger picture, there's the fact that the church, and not just our church, the church overall in this country has declined since the middle of the 20th century in membership. The practices and values of the generations change over time. They continue to change. Feels like that's an accelerating change. And people don't always make meaning in ways that are familiar to us. Then COVID thinned our ranks even further. Restore us, O oh Lord, to our glory days, we pray. When there were no soccer games on Sunday morning and all our committees had plenty of people and we all sang your song from the same book. Or maybe the desolation in our lives is more personal. Back in January 2006, I was pastoring a little church in a little town in Texas, and there was stuff going on in my church, and there was stuff going on in my family. And after taking the traditional week off between Christmas and New Year's, I realized that I came back to, more, to, to my work tireder than I'd gone into the vacation. And I remember a little voice, gentle but clear in the back of my head, saying, you cannot keep going like this. And not even two weeks later, I discovered a lump in my breast. And that started my cancer journey, which took most of that year with chemo and radiation. Finally, that December, my father died. So that year uh, provoked an undoing in my life that I never could have imagined. I felt undone for a long time after that. And I know that that same kind of thing happens to people all the time. It happens to people in this room. It happens to people watching. It happens to people out there all the time. And sometimes we just want to go back. We might read this prophecy today about being about us and hope that it will mean that God will breathe life back into us, make us a living body again, restore us to our life and place. Do you hear how backward focused that language is? But the, 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 because the temptation for us, especially collectively when we get into groupthink, is to hope in the future for that body we used to have in the past, before all the bones fell apart. We uh, have a natural temptation as people who can only see a little ways beyond our noses, as people who cannot control the future, our hope is to become the same, for that same sinews and muscle and skin to come right back onto the bodies just the way it fell off. The same skin color sometimes we hope for, the same kind of body, the same body that knew all the things that it knew. Part of that is nostalgia for the past. And part of it is just not knowing what we don't know, not knowing how to see something different, something that has never been. But we have to know that we can't go back. When we study the scriptures and the lives touched by God, we see that God doesn't ever leave things the way they were. Never. So we have to know especially if we're talking about the church, that the body that God raises up out of death will be different from what was. 
It will not be a copy of what was, not the reincarnation of some earlier, healthier version of itself, like some strange Benjamin Button or Dorian Gray. We have to be honest also and recognize that what has been wasn't always faithful. It wasn't always perfect, even if it was comfortable, even if the lens of time helps us blur the edges and forget the ill. So the body that rises by God's might up and out of that open grave will be a new body. New bodies, in fact, new bodies that make up a people of God, different colors, different shapes, different backgrounds and kinship and families, different ways of knowing that God is God and maker of all, different ways of coming to know the truth of God, of becoming part of the body. It has to be different. Nothing else makes sense. And it's already happening. It happens when church folks start new conversations with their neighbors and listen and learn from them what it means to be loved. We say love your neighbor, and sometimes we think we know what that means. A new kind of way of being a body is to listen to the other, to hear what it is they would have us do to love them. It happens when you form authentic mutual friendships, for example, with folk who come to your food pantry, and you ask questions about the gifts they bring and not just about what they lack. It happens when we learn how to do online gatherings better because there are folk who will walk into the online door who won't walk into that one right there for a lot of different reasons. And, and it happens when we're willing to have new eyes in our body to look at what God has already given us, to look at the people and the resources that we can already claim and touch because you know God has already given us everything we need to do the work God is asking us to do. It's all there. We are learning. We just have to loosen our grip a little bit and trust that believing sometimes has to happen first before we can see. The prophets call us to believe in something that we don't yet know. But prophecy in the biblical tradition is not fortune-telling. It's not, whoo, here's a secret, here's what's about to happen. Prophecy instead announces the powerful, purposeful word of the Lord. It is a word that puts things into motion. God proclaims in Isaiah 51, my word that goes out from my mouth will not return to me empty but it will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. So this powerful prophecy has come to us from the mouth of God. Maybe we're the bones dry and cut off without hope. Or maybe we're the prophet burdened or privileged to call up from the ground a new people. But either way, God is the one at work. God is the one speaking the word. God is the one doing a new thing, recreating a church that knows how to live in faithful covenant with God because God has made it possible. Can you imagine being that church? Maybe you already feel like you are. 
But can you imagine what the world would look like if even just the United Methodists in Arkansas took that vision seriously? The people of this conference do know the power of, of uh, transforming the world in tangible ways in real people's lives. You have a lot of that going on the ground. Our neighbors, the ones who are not in worship or in Sunday school classes or who have not even found us online yet, they have the same questions and yearnings and doubts and fears that we do. They too sit by deathbeds and graves and wonder what it means. They too try to raise decent children and want the world to be more kind and whole and just. It brings to mind for me a line from Psalm 130. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. I wait for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning, more than those who watch for the morning. Have you ever been up at night and waiting for the morning to come? The people around us are up at night, brothers and sisters. They are watching for the morning light. And my hope, my hope, my trust is that God in, in provenient grace is already there with them, speaking mercy to them, that God is there. But that's where we need to be too, by their side, watching for the morning with them, telling of the times that we have stared into the abyss and the dark and found we were not alone. The world is a mess. The church is a mess. And life in general is just hard. But just imagine what a body of love full of joy, full of the breath of God might be able to do. That's how the Christian faith has always spread, not through litmus tests or loyalty oaths, but through a body of believers who act and speak differently in the world, who transform their communities as salt and light and leaven. That's how the church thrives. The true body of Christ, his raised up people, they touch folks with life-giving love and it changes everything. Whether you feel broken and dried out today, or maybe just confused about the future, Christ is calling to us through the Holy Spirit to remember his body, to put it back together, to risk believing before we can see, to go to new places and new people with compassionate hearts and humble stories of hope. Because God's already said it, and God's going to do it. And by God's grace, in a world of hurt and fighting and death, we get to be a sign of the resurrection. So may it be, in Christ's name. Amen.